bowling frozen turkeys. How many believe that that's perfectly normal behavior? That's good. I'm happy. Well, it's great to see you. Uh, Let me make a little announcement that seems a little unusual. I was just looking up at the big uh, big screen earlier, and I saw my hair cut from the side. And I just need to apologize for it, frankly. Uh, I was back in England last week. All right. I was back in England last, well, a couple of weeks ago, and I went in to get a haircut. And look what I came out with. I looked like a frightened baby eagle or something. It's like, where's mama gone? You know. What really irritated me is when I went to pay, uh, in England they don't have seniors' discounts. They have pensioners' discounts if you're over 65. And the guy that just massacred my head He said, sir, would you like the pensioner's discount today? How rude is that? I'm thinking, would you like the corrugated nose today? But I I didn't say that for I am a Christian. We're talking about power today, bitterness, power. Uh, We are continuing this series in the book of Esther. For those of you that have been following along, for those of you that haven't, there was this conspiracy against the Jews, King Xerxes, was the crazy guy in power, King, uh, Queen Esther, his wife, Mordecai, her cousin, and the bad guy, Haman, who was the author of the plot. Yeah, we've been hissing at his name. We kind of like that part, don't we? All right, now we've got it done, all right? That, that's the, the fun over. And um, last weekend we saw that Haman got himself to the gallows by making some disastrous decisions, but the law, the legislation to annihilate the Jews was still in place and Esther had to take care of that problem. So let's dive in here. We're looking at Esther chapter 8 and the first four verses. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. And then chapter 9, verse 1. On the thirteenth day... Of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities, in all the provinces of King Xerxes, to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors... And the king's administrators helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces and he became more and more powerful. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the city of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed a number of chaps whose names were quite difficult to pronounce. (laughs) 
the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The number of those slain in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that day, uh, that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? It will also be granted. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on gallows. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa. They hanged the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they put to death in Susa 300 men. They did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Wow, this is heavy stuff. And we're going to be talking today about some difficult issues, about about power, about bitterness. So before we get into that, how many think it would be okay just to have a little bit of fun, a fun moment? Just raise your hand if you are in favour of fun before death. That's good. Uh, You know that I'm a a, a grandfather now. Some of you are kind enough to ask how my grandson Stanley is, is doing. He's doing great. He's 20 months old. He's in medical school. He... uh learning Hebrew, plays bassoon for the New York Symphony Orchestra. He's not potty trained yet, but he's doing great, you know. um, But we were out shopping. Grandkids have strange effects upon their grandparents. Uh, My wife Kay doesn't normally dance when we go shopping together. But when your grandson comes with you, odd things happen. We went into this store and what we didn't realise is that Stanley wanted to dance And also, we didn't realise that he understood the meaning of the phrase, turn around, turn around, which came out in the music. And I had my iPhone ready, and here's what happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he is cute, right? (laughs) Hey, come on over, I've got 11 million photographs to show you. Turn around. It was a big surprise that moment. And in the book of Esther, there is a Hebrew word, haphakta, which literally means turn around. The translation of the word is he turned it around, he reversed it, he turned it right side up. There's a sudden turnaround in the Esther story because Haman is hanged on the gallows, impaled on a stake. He prepared that gallows for Mordecai, but it all turns around now. And then uh, Mordecai becomes chief minister in the nation. There is this turnaround. I need to say to us, before we go any further with this, that God is still the God of the turnaround. Aren't you glad about that? The story of God from Genesis to Revelation is of God breaking in, intervening and turning the tables around and bringing sudden change. But even as I say that, We have got to recognise, if we treat this episode seriously, that this is not only about turnaround, but it's also an episode of turnaround and tragedy. And that's the first sub-point in your bulletin there, if you're following uh, along with us. This is an episode of turnaround and tragedy. We cannot skip over the fact 
that 75,000 people died as a result of this action today. Uh, There's a mass slaughter. We'll come back to that. Uh, Initially, a a war that's begun in self-defense, but we're going to investigate that a little more. Let's face up to the fact that this is challenging stuff. Often I hear Christians say that Islam has a problem because it's got a violent book. Well, I've got to be honest with you as a Christian leader and say, we've got some of our own problems too with our book, particularly with the Old Testament when we read it at at, uh, face value as we, we should. Not only that, but because the Jews did this doesn't make it right. Because something is recorded in Scripture as something that actually happened doesn't mean necessarily that God authorized that. Every now and again, I meet people who, in wanting to support and bless Israel today, they are terrified about asking awkward questions about Israel's politics and human rights records. I want to say that to bless Israel doesn't mean that we don't ask the awkward questions. God does. Throughout history, he sent prophets to challenge and nudge his people to say, no, you're getting it wrong. If we, if, if we have any doubt that God isn't interested in human rights, then just read the book of Amos as he speaks to his people. So as we look at this, we've got some interesting and challenging questions to face. And I think there's just a possibility as we look at this episode that there was a dangerous combination going on here there was a dangerous combination of power mingled with bitterness. That as Esther and Mordecai, the tables are turned around for them, it's just possible, I'm asking the question, not making a definitive statement, that bitterness got in and their response and reaction went somewhat too far. You see, power is potentially a dangerous thing. Abraham Lincoln famously said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to discover a man's character, give him power. What we do with power shows what we really are, particularly if we experience bitterness. And let's face it, we can all be touched by bitterness. Pastor Dari said last week, often we're bitter because we focus on what we don't have. We're just mad with the other guy and we're mad with the world because they have what we want. Interestingly, at least to me, in James chapter 3, James links bitterness and envy together. That it's simply envy that often fuels our bitter feelings. We can be bitter because we've been bruised, because we've been hurt, because we've been disappointed, because we've been rejected because we've been abused. We are all touched at times in our lives with the potential for bitterness. I prayed a really dangerous prayer this week, which I kind of wish I hadn't prayed. I just said, Lord, I'm preparing this sermon, so if there are seeds of bitterness in my heart that I kind of, I don't really recognize, then please show me. Oh, that was a great prayer. I want to be honest with you and tell you that God did turn the light on in my heart. I am not sitting up here above any of this. I'm in this journey. In fact, I don't want you to know this, but you kind of have to. But on my way here to Timberline this morning, I was thinking about a friend that I haven't spoken to for four years that break out in the president's office that day. The question is simple. 
Is there somebody in our lives that we could surprise with grace this week? The third thing, the third principle is that bitterness will hurt others, including the innocent. Bitterness will hurt others, including those who are innocent. Look at chapter 8, verse 11. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The translation of this text is quite difficult, but the implication seems to be that women and children are going to be killed too. And that's the tragedy of bitterness. Innocent people suffer. They get caught in the crossfire. They get dragged into the fuss. And bitterness is not a laser-targeted missile. Bitterness is a bomb that explodes with collateral damage everywhere. And sometimes what happens, ladies and gentlemen, is that we get mad and then we drag others into the fight. And they get hurt. I was on a train from London a couple of weeks ago back in England and it was quite a fun time because the train was delayed and the conductor of the train decided to make an announcement and then the driver, the engineer, didn't like what the conductor had said so they had a kind of public fight over the PA. Uh, The conductor came on, let me just tell you what happened. The conductor came on, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, it's your conductor speaking. I'm very sorry to tell you that this train is delayed. I don't know why it's delayed. I could make something up, but I can't be bothered. It's just delayed. I'm sorry. So I thought, that's a fascinatingly refreshing announcement. (laughs) So then the engineer, the driver, came on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your driver speaking. Uh, My colleague, who is normally a consummate professional, has just advised you that this train is delayed and allow me to tell you the reasons why it's delayed. And he gave us all the reasons why it was delayed. And he said, I'm sure my professional colleague, who has served this railway for many years, will help you in a professional manner in the future. I'm thinking, this is great. (laughs) Then, the conductor came back on again. Ladies and gentlemen, This is your conductor speaking. My colleague, the driver, the engineer, is absolutely right in informing us that this train is delayed. And I am pleased to announce that this train will arrive eventually. (laughs) It was fantastic. Then I realised, that's how world wars start. People fighting in public, dragging others in, innocent people getting hurt because we refuse to deal with our bitterness. The challenge is is obvious. Who are we hurting? I'm on Facebook. Any Facebookers here? Please be my friend. I need all the help I can get. I know of a family on Facebook who describe themselves as Christians who are using their status updates. They don't live in the state of Colorado. They are using their status updates to gouge and cut each other. It's a disgusting sight to see them using cyberspace to take their pot shots and make their insinuations. And it's, there's an ugly feeling as the, the update comes through and you think, here they go again. Bitterness drags others in and hurts many. Well, the last point this morning 
is that bitterness creates a hunger that is rarely satisfied. It creates a hunger that is rarely satisfied. Look at verse 14 of chapter 9. So, the king commanded that this be done, an edict was issued in Susa and they hanged the ten sons of Haman. Stop right there. They killed them the day before. They were already dead. But the next day they put them on, on a stake. They impaled them on a stake. How many know that when you're dead, nothing hurts? You kick a dead man, the only one to get hurt is you. It was part of the culture to publicly display your enemies in this way. I understand that. But it's interesting that Esther demands not only that these guys with non-pronounceable names are killed, but that they're impaled after they're killed. You see, bitterness is like that. It's just, it's just not enough. The bumper sticker says, don't get mad, get even. But some of us never quite get even. Bitterness is an all-you-can-eat feast. You just want more and more and more and more. Aristotle said bitterness is, a, is an embittered and resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. And you know what, folks? Revenge is not sweet. Henry Emerson Fosdyke said this. Let me close with this. Bitterness imprisons life, love releases it. Bitterness paralyzes life, love empowers it. Bitterness sours life, love sweetens it. Bitterness sickens life, love heals it. Bitterness blinds life and love anoints its eyes. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, Get rid of... Get rid of all bitterness. That can sound like quite strong. If you look at what he says about bitterness to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, the translation of that text, particularly in Colossians, is let bitterness be removed from you. Do you know what? The truth is that when it comes to bitterness, I don't think I can sort it out by myself. And neither can you. And thank God we don't have to. But as we hear that exhortation, let bitterness be removed from you. We can come to God and we can say, I want to be willing to be willing to go on that journey. We can be honest before God. Don't, don't fake it. Don't make it up. Don't say, oh yeah, Lord, I, I love that person. When in fact, the reality is we'd like to be there for their execution. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to deny that what happened to us was wrong. Forgiveness is not denying that we were hurt. But we can come to a place where we are no longer the victim again and again. But where by the grace of God we say, no, I'm stepping out from the shadow of being a victim and I will allow God to do surgery on my heart to bring change. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you because you are not bitter towards us. That we have been forgiven.
forgiven freely. And those words in Ephesians, that's the context for getting rid of bitterness. You freely forgive as Christ has forgiven you. All of us, Lord, we come before you to pray a prayer that's dangerous. To say, God, would you show us where beneath the surface may be locked deep, deep down. Bitterness lives. And then, Lord, we'd like to pray that some of us, we we know it's there. And some of us, we want to deal with it. We want to make choices. And others, we don't feel able to do anything. We we can't pretend to, to, in any way, rush towards some forgiveness. But we'd like you to change our hearts. We'd like to want to want to be changed. To take us in the right direction again. If you feel like that as you're seated here, if you're aware that there's bitterness that you would like God to take you on a journey to remove that from you. I'm going to ask you to do something. Don't raise your hand as we often ask you to do. But would you just hold out your right hand in front of you as a symbol? I want you to hold out a clenched fist. It's not a symbol of rebellion. But do this if you would be honest enough to say, I know there's bitterness in there, in that heart of mine. And I come before you, God, knowing that bitterness tends to close, to clench my heart. So here we are, Lord. We offer our hearts to you. But we would like to invite you by your Spirit to do what we cannot do. And to change us. Change my heart, O God. as an act of faith and not a reflection necessarily of your feelings. I would like to ask you as we're just seated here together in prayer to perhaps begin to slowly open those fingers of that clenched fist. Not to foolishly say somehow this fixes everything but to say, Lord, this is where I want to be with a heart open and uncluttered by bitterness. And I know there are tears in this place right now. I can see that. But the pain that we feel is because God is a magnificent surgeon. And wants to take us on a journey for our good. Particularly for those who have been so wounded and bruised. We pray peace and healing and grace. May they go from this place in a few minutes, not in any way corralled or bullied into anything 
but comforted by the grace that is in Christ. And moving forward together with you, Jesus. Thank you for your magnificent presence here. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now, Lord, we go in your grace, relying on your presence, your strength, your work in our hearts. And we give you our thanks and gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it too early to say Happy Thanksgiving? Is that okay? Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great time. Pray for those turkeys. It's a rough week. God bless you.